So the book of Acts chapter 11, we finished, um, we, uh, we went from 9 verse 32 last week all the way through chapter 10. So as we do every week, we pick up where we left off. So we left off at the end of chapter 10. So we're picking up here at verse at uh, chapter 11 verse 1. Now a quick recap is um, as we studied through the uh, second half of uh, 9 and then through all of 10, uh, we saw Aeneas healed and Tabitha brought back to life after she had died. We learned a lot about Tabitha and a little, uh, it didn't say, the scripture doesn't say much about her, but the, what it does say about her was that she was a disciple, so she was seeking the Lord in her life, and that she was full of, of good works and, and charitable deeds. So she was someone who would take her, you know, whatever she had in life and bless others with it. And when she died, all the widows were gathered together and they're showing what the things that she had made. And so she was a woman that, as James tells us, pure and undefiled religion before God is to care for widows and orphans in their trouble. Those that can't bless you back. Those that, that are in the greatest need, that they've just lost everything. And, uh, and here you are just a minister to them. Not that you can get anything from them, but that you can minister to them. That's, that's the heart of God, is to reach out and to care for those that are in need. So we, we, we talked about Tabitha. We talked about a man named Cornelius. And um, Cornelius uh, was a, a, quite a man, a, a military leader that uh, loved the Lord. And, and he, uh, the Jewish people loved him. He was a Roman, religious, uh, Roman uh, military leader. And the, uh, the Jews loved him uh, because he was a good man. Uh, and uh, they, they were very blessed by him. And the Lord worked in his life and spoke to him in a vision that a man uh, was going to explain uh, something that he needed to hear to him. Now, as that's happening and he sends three of his people away, uh, he, uh, God is also working in the life of Peter. Peter has gone up to a rooftop to be with the Lord and to pray. And as he's in there, he uh, also sees a vision of uh, the sheet that's lowered down. And there's all kinds of four-footed animals and those types of things. And and uh, the uh, he is told in the vision, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he sees the sheet as displaying something that would be uh, non-kosher. It wouldn't be uh, legal as a Jew for him to eat that. It would defile him. And he's saying, not so, Lord, I can't do that. And uh, we talked about, you can't really say not so to your Lord, right? But uh, So we talked about that, but that sheet represented something greater. And what was happening in Cornelius' household, uh, the Lord was orchestrating Peter to go and proclaim the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jews. So uh, as that sheet got laid, uh, that, that vision of that sheet coming down, up and down three times, three men, so the three times, three men came that were sent from Cornelius. They came to Peter's house. And the, the spirit had spoke to Peter and told him that he needs to go and follow them. So he did. And, and when Peter got there, Peter just starts explaining the gospel to him. Peter gets interrupted by uh, as he's trying to speak because as he's speaking, they're believing what he's saying. And as they're believing, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. So the Gentiles are now saying, so that's a, a big, so if you want to kind of figure out if you're not Jewish here and you want to kind of figure out where it all started for Gentiles to be saved, Acts chapter 10. And we'll see in, in, in 11, it, can, it, it continues to go uh, a little bit further in our study uh, this morning. But we, it, it's a, this is a, that's a massive turning point in the Bible because everything had to do with God's chosen people, Israel. 
But God chose to reveal himself through Israel, but that doesn't mean that everybody couldn't be saved. Uh, so the, the, all the, the disciples and the apostles get their mind blown when they start hearing, wait a minute, the, 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 the Gentiles are being saved and the Holy Spirit's poured out on Gentiles? What's happening here? We'll get into that soon. So they received the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 11. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. There's a so you know when the, when the apostles heard uh, and and everyone else heard that the Gentiles received the word and were saved, the Holy Spirit poured upon them. They weren't rejoicing. They had a bone to pick with with Peter, and and so when they come up, uh, when when Peter gets there and and uh, they they they've got a thing or two to say to him, and what they have to to, to say here is a rebuke. You went in and ate with them. You defiled yourself as a Jew. You can't do that. And, and uh, there's a, uh, a whole lesson coming from, from Peter here uh, pretty soon. But, you know, they, when you consider, they, the Gentiles were considered untouchables. When the Jews would come in from going out to uh, Gentile lands, they'd shake off their robe to get all the dust off. And they would make sure none of the Gentile dust came in. Uh, so th when, when you consider what had happened there, it's quite a significant event. So, uh, you know, if you consider, uh, if you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution movie, and not just because it's Chuck Smith and it's a Calvary Chapel thing, I think that's great and everything, but if you understand the movement, where it started, is the Lord moved in the heart of Chuck Smith to minister to the untouchables, to those that, that nobody would consider that you'd be ministering to. Everybody thought you had to be, uh, you know, in those days, they call them square, right? You'd have to look good, you know, have the good haircut and be sharp and everything, and and uh, the Lord burdened Chuck's heart, uh, you know, when he heard about these hippies wanting to know about Jesus. And uh, he had to deal with issues uh, within for, with the church. And they're saying, well, you're going to bring them here, but they're dirty and they're going to ruin the rug. And he's like, so buy a new rug. You know, these are souls that need to be saved. Right. And in the movie, it even shows Chuck's washing their feet in the next scene. Are you worried about the rugs because of their dirty feet? Well, what did Jesus say? Wash their feet. Bring them in. Sinners need to be saved. They need to be welcomed into a church to hear the gospel. If we've got to a point where we're too good to present the gospel to somebody or somebody comes in here, you got I mean, we're all in jeans and you know, shirt. I I I'm, I throw this on because I have to, I guess, <laughs> with a with a polo or something like that. I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of guy, you know? And and uh it's 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 funny how um how, you know, in conversations with people, they're like, oh, you know, I get all dressed up, go to, no, why? Just put a pair of shorts and a t-shirt on and come to church. I don't care. You know, it, the, what does the Bible say that the Lord looks on the inside? Man looks on the outside, the Lord looks on the inside. We're not here to impress anybody. You know, it's, it's about the uh, having a personal relationship with Christ. And everybody needs to be presented with that, that opportunity. Everybody needs to. So for us, oh, you're not quite dressed the way we need you to be. You know, that's that's silly. It's weird. Uh, I remember hearing, oh, you got to come in your Sunday best. The guy, it, it, hopefully there's nobody in the suit here. I'm making it feel weird. <laughs> don't, don't, don't feel wrong. That's okay. That's okay. If you wanted to put on, uh, you know, uh, a, a suit and tie, awesome. We're glad to have you here. You got jeans and a t-shirt on, awesome. I don't care. It's not about what we're wearing. We can, we can, you know, look like heaven and have a heart like hell, right? You know, we, we can put on that, that, 
that that uh, facade and and uh, you know where the Bible uh, spoke of religious leaders being whitewashed tombs. Like you look great, but inside there's death, right? Anyways, so Peter gets rebuke, rebuked, and Peter has to tell them that God tore down the walls. That there were, there's, there's, yes, the, the, the Gentiles heard. And, you know, for these people, sometimes old habits die hard. Uh, don't cling on to that and be like, hey, well, I could hold on to this old habit. Because, but in their mindsets, they're like, hey, we can't even talk. We can't associate ourselves with them. And, it, it, you know, some people is going to take longer for them to deal with. So they didn't understand that the grace of God is for everyone who believes. Very popular, probably the most popular uh, Bible verse in the world, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, right? For God, 3.17, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, right? The world. It's not just the Jews. They were to be saved first. The gospel was to go to them first. But then uh, we see through the scriptures that it was to be open to everybody. And, and God, the mystery of the gospel is awesome, whoever. So they didn't understand it and uh, you know when he said it to them. But in God's timing, uh, they come to a point here very quickly that they understand what he was saying. But remember what Jesus said in John 10, 16. He said, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. You know, there's other sheep that need to come. Jesus spoke of other sheep. Not just you guys, not this is special. Jesus was saying, I, I'm doing another work. Verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently... And considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you should not you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, where I was, having uh, been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me when we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him. Uh, who sorry? Who said to him, "Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved." And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and upon us as at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, "John indeed baptized with water, but you shall bap uh, be baptized with the Holy Spirit." If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus. Who was I that I could withstand God? So we studied that account, but this is Peter giving a record of that account, him telling these guys as they're meeting him and they're not so gracious. They didn't like come up and 
they they had a bone to pick with him, and they were angry. What did you do? You went in and you ate with them. You you uh, subjected yourself uh, to being unclean. So Peter in being is being gracious to them, and he explains the whole situation. He told them everything that had happened with Cornelius and uh, everything that uh, had happened uh, with him so that God had orchestrated it all for them to hear the gospel. You know, the, the scriptures say, Romans 10, 17, uh, that a faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we see here that these people heard the word of God, they believed. It wasn't that Peter went, and Peter was used mightily by the Lord to do miracles. And he was healing people, and he had raised Tabitha from the dead. He prayed to the Lord, and then he told Tabitha, arise, right? He went in there and just preached the word, and as he did, it sparked believing faith in them, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And it, when when Peter is doing this, uh, he ha and he's explaining this, he has to tell them, remember how God worked in us? You know, as as I preached, God interrupted me, and the Holy Spirit was poured out. Remember, Peter, Peter says it right there, that as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit, he didn't like finish the sermon and then give the altar call. And then convince everybody that, no, they knew what they heard was true. And then they're, they're, as that faith is growing in them, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. And uh, because Jesus said, if you believe in me and, and, and we ask him to come into our lives, then uh, we receive the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to think when we're praying. We're praying to a God that's you know through the earth and through the earth's atmosphere. And it's got to go through the clouds and go through all the... No, God is very present. God is omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. <clears throat> so when we consider when we're praying, he hears the whisper. He hears the prayer coming from deep down in our hearts. God hears even that. He knows that. So we don't have to be at, to the point where we're trying to get God to hear. God knew the faith that had happened and, and, and had been born into them that day. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. Lives were changed. Souls were saved. That's a wonderful day to celebrate. And, uh, and Peter goes on to say, who was I to withstand God? When I witnessed all this, who am I? You know, Peter, think of what Peter had done in his ministry. His head could have been this big. Remember, Peter's head was that big. And then he failed three times, right? He denied the Lord three times and the Lord restored him. He learned what humility was the rough way. He learned it so much so that 2,000 years later, we're talking about it this morning. I mean, guys, who would want your, your greatest failure to be known throughout the ages, right? <laughs> that was Peter, an imperfect man that God, uh, God broke down that pride and built him up in humility and then used him mightily. That's how we would, uh, I'm sure Peter would be blessed for us to, uh, blessed to know that we would remember him that way. But more so, he'd want us to focus on the Lord. Verse 13. When they heard these things, they became silent. Now, remember, when he walked in the door, they were like, Rah! coming at him. They, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. There's the change, right? They became silent. They thought about it. Then they glorified God. They were silent. They knew, wait a minute. We're in our pride saying, you know, here you are defiling yourself. What are you doing, man? We're here to rebuke you. We're all ready. And, and Peter just shares with them what happens. God did the change in their heart. God did that. Peter didn't have to sit there and say, okay, guys, you're being prideful. Now I need to tell you this, and we need to have an intervention for you. You need to you know, submit your will to the fathers, and you need to grow and change and everything. 
He just told it. And then God did the work in, in their lives and in their hearts here. They knew they were wrong. There's no more opposition voice. Now they're glorifying God. That's the proper response to a sinner uh, repenting and getting saved. You know, if any of us are like, dang it, I was hoping that guy would just be damned to hell for, you know, eternity. I can't believe he got saved and now he's walking in grace and he, he's come to know the Lord. You know, how prideful and wrong is that, right? You know, I, I may say that, that jokingly, but man, if we're ever disappointed that someone gets saved, our heart is in the wrong place. When they say God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life, this is massive news for you and I, as I discussed earlier. Verse 19, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And uh, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So those that were scattered, remember we, did, we studied this, right? Saul of Tarsus is leading this great uh, persecution of the church, and they're dragging people out of homes, Bible studies, churches, everything. And they're bringing them in uh, into prison, and they're putting them on trial. Uh, Stephen had just been stoned to death, to death. I mean, they took his life. And as he's being stoned to death, Saul is holding everybody's coats. This man did not care what happened to them. He just wanted them to shut up and go away. But we studied how Saul's life changed, right, in the first half of Acts chapter 9. And he met Jesus Christ on, on the road to Damascus. So when he had all the authority he needed in his hand, to go take people and drag them out of church and tell them they're going to deny their faith in Christ. God met him, said, hey, it's hard for you to kick against the goads in it. Why are you persecuting me? And his life changed and he went, couldn't see for three days. You guys remember this whole story, right? <clears throat> Ananias had to come, put his hand on him and, and, and say, brother Saul, you know, and, and, and his life changed. The people that scattered, this is what this is talking about. The people that scattered when this all was happening, they were scattering the word of God. But this says that they were only preaching to Jews. And then the gospel was, uh, and then it explains, was spreading to the Hellenists, those Jews that had adopted the Greek culture and Greek-speaking Jews. So uh, we see things spreading out even more there uh, in that direction. Verse 22 says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When uh, he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them. All, uh, all that with purpose of heart that they, uh, sorry, encouraged them all, uh, that with purpose of heart they should come uh, they should uh, continue uh, with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. You guys see what's happening here? God sends the encourager. Barnabas' name was son of encouragement. So he would go and he would minister. And he, it says here that he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. It's one thing to accept the Lord, say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I've done things wrong that I'm not proud of, but I, I just heard of this Savior that, that came to this earth, that God sent his only son, that he would, would come to this earth and die in my place and pay the penalty of my sin. And I can be saved for that. All I got to do is believe in him and start walking with him. 
Barnabas comes and tells them that they need to continue with the Lord. That's an important thing. You know, for, for us, just, if, if, our, if our church was just set on preaching the gospel and not making, remember Jesus said in the Great, Great Commission, if we're not making disciples, he says, go and make disciples in all nations, disciplined ones that are walking in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, right? That's what a disciplined one is, so a, a disciple. Go and make a disciple. Not just go out and say something, and once we've said something, move on. There are evangelists. Some people are called to go and do that. But when somebody gets saved, it is the church's responsibility to grab them, encourage them, and, and take them along and say, hey, let us help you grow in your faith. Let's get in the word together. Let's, let's you know, don't just stay here where you've said, hey, I prayed the prayer. I'm good to go. Now I'm going to go live my life like hell again. I'm going to go get into the party scene, and I'm going to sleep around, and I'm going to go do this, 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 and this. That, that God calls us away from because it hurts us, because it's a sin against him. You know, God has created us to have that, that, that relationship, that, that intimate relationship with one, right, of the opposite sex, male, female, right, husband and wife, wife, husband. That's a precious thing that we have so perverted. And we can make that, whatever the sin is, that just came to mind, whatever it is that we know that we uh, can walk in, in newness of life in Christ. Barnabas is here saying you need, to, you need to continue, you need to grow, you need to grow away from that. So this Barnabas we learned, uh, we, we saw him come up already. Uh, his name means son of encouragement, and uh, he's a man used by God uh, to bring people together. When we see Barnabas, he's one that's bringing people together. God used him uh, to, to take parties and bring them together in the Lord. So he's encouraging these people to grow in their faith. Uh, he had a special way of uh, about him that people knew that that he was genuine and he had the words that he needed uh, to minister to people. He had a special ministry. You know, he could grab people and and, and remember when Saul first was uh, converted and he's walking with the Lord now. The disciples needed to be convinced, like he's not just faking us all out, right? Barnabas comes along and says, "Hey guys, he's he's legit." You know, he was that person. You know, he had a special ministry. When you when you consider you know how could God use me? Maybe he's he's he'll use you to be a, an encourager. Just somebody say, hey, you know what? That's awesome that you just got saved. You know we don't have to try to be Billy Graham and and and, and uh, say, okay, now we're going to dive into this. This is just hey, that's cool, great. You know I hope you're 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 getting connected. That you're going to church on a regular basis. Uh, you're being in in prayer and you're getting into the Word and you're growing in your faith. That's an encouragement there, and that's what what uh, what uh, Barnabas was doing here. Now the question is: is how do we be? Because if you look at in verse twenty four, it says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. How does that happen in somebody's life? By submitting our will to God, letting His Holy Spirit have the free reign in our lives, and letting Him tell us how things are going to go in our lives. Speak to our lives. Submit ourselves to the word of God. And as we grow in the word, as we're uh, together in fellowship, as we're growing in the word, and uh, as we're praying, those things are going to happen and God's going to use us. Just as we're eating the spiritual food we need to, we're going to grow just like a child, right? Just like any of us. If we're eating right, we're going to have more energy. We're going to grow healthy. Those things that are needed in our spiritual life, we need to be taking those in. And as we're taking them in, we're going to grow and God's going to build us and make us and he's going to shape us into tools that he can use. 
That's what God desires to do. Not only that we would be saved, but then he wants to use us. Just remember, the Lord said, ask and you shall receive. If you want to be used by the Lord, just ask him. Verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So Barnabas moved on from there, found Saul, and brought him to Antioch. And they are ministry partners there for a year. And they're ministering to people. I mean, these guys were, were dedicated to what God had called them to do. The, that when you consider what's happening here, that, that Barnabas goes and he gets Saul. and he It wasn't like, hey, we just did ministry. Now we can get back to life. No, ministry was their life. And they're just jumping into whatever God calls them to do. You know, there's an encouragement there. If God's calling us to change trash cans at church, change trash cans at church. Serve him. You're not serving me. You're not. Yes, it's, it's a blessing to me. It's a blessing to this, this congregation. But ultimately, when we serve, we should serve with our whole heart, serving the Lord. And, and we're, we're going to be blessed for doing so. Colossians 3.23. Do all things heartily as to the Lord. So this guy, this is what he's doing. He's like, all right, my job's done here. What else does God have for me? Oh, you know what? The Lord's speaking to me. I need to go grab Saul. And we're going to go do ministry together. And they didn't know how long they were going to be there. there for a whole year. And what it says is those in Antioch uh, were first called Christians. Uh, in Antioch, it says. A Christian. I think everybody in here has heard the term Christian before. Uh, my hope is that everybody here is a Christian. And if you're not, I hope you become one before you leave here today. What is a Christian? Follower of Christ. The simple uh, definition of a Christian is a Christ follower, one that is following Christ, following his lead, the way he lived his life. The word Christian is only mentioned three times in the scriptures here in 1126, and that's because of their behavior, their activity, and their speech were like Christ. So they were called uh, Christians. Acts 26, 28 uh, explains uh, the next one, and it says, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. So Saul's on trial and and Agrippa, the ruler in that uh, that time, uh, was speaking to him. And he's saying he's really confessing that he almost came to faith and that he almost came to eternal life. But he missed it. Think of that. That's sad. You almost. A little bit further and I might become a Christian. You almost persuade me to be a Christian. You look at the Greek word in there, he was close. The word little, he had a little ways to go. The Greek word isn't little, but there's it, what it's explaining there is it. He, he had a little ways to go. <sighs> Guys, can you imagine confessing that I almost made it to heaven? I almost made it there. How do we make it to heaven? Confess belief in Christ. Ask him to be our Lord and Savior and to save us from our sins. That's it. That's it. We don't have to go and climb. After that will come love, a service out of love, right? Because, wait a minute, i got to know this God, and as I know him, other people need to know this God. And I'm going to love on people, and as I'm loving on them, I'm going to tell them about Jesus Christ. That's how we get saved. It's that easy. Believe in our heart, confess with our mouth. We're saved. That's it. There's no magic 
potions that need to be drank. There's nothing. I mean, guys, if you, um, there are some really weird religious um, uh, things that happen in this world so that people believe that they'll be blessed or that they'll go to heaven. Um, I mean, really weird things like butchering live animals, um, stuff like that, where they've got to, uh, they've got to do, I, I won't get into some of the, the nasty thing, but they've got to do the weirdest of things to somehow earn favor. And then they're going to be okay. Guys, that's not the creator of the universe. That's not what he wants. He just wants us to have a relationship with him. He's made the way to do that. And the blessedness of just saying, you know what? I'm just going to confess faith in him and grow and trust him that I'm saved. Saved from the penalty of my sin and now I'm growing. The third time the word Christian is mentioned is in 1 Peter 4, 16. Peter said, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. The word Christian. You know, what, it, what does it mean to carry this title of a Christian? You know, there's a responsibility that comes uh, with it, and it's bearing the most powerful name on earth. We're bearing the name of Christ, right? Let us not take that in vain. You know, we say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. People have an expectation after they hear that, right? Not that we're perfect. Not that we're perfect, but that what they should see and hear coming from us is love. It's love, righteousness, you know, that we would be imitators of Christ, that when people see us, they would consider us little Christ. They'd look and go, wow, that guy, you know, when I've learned about Jesus, I've learned that this person is acting in that way. They, they are forgiving somebody that doesn't deserve to be forgiven. There's no way I'd forgive that. And then they're forgiving. They're speaking loving words, right? That's that's how people should know us, that, that the world would know that we're Christians by our love, right? That we would reflect his character. Now, the term Christian has been cheapened, I think you'd agree, over the years. What does it mean to be a Christian? So I, I looked up something. Um, I found a Gallup poll. And uh, please don't horrify me if Gallup's like this awful um, you know, polling source or whatever. But of those polled in 2021... Of Americans polled, 69% of Americans identified as Christians. They, they would say that they're Protestant, uh, they're Catholic, or they just say, well, not really any of that. I just, I, I just consider myself a Christian. Seven identified as non-Christian. 21 uh, said that they uh, had no, 21% said they had no religious preference. Three people said they just didn't want to answer the question. Okay, so 69% of Americans claim to be Christians. The next question, or one of the other questions is, is religion important to you? Roughly 49%. So there's a 20% difference right here. Okay, 49% yes. Is your relationship with God, if you're a Christian, you have a relationship with God. You're not in a religion, you have a relationship with God. That's what, what it means. Roughly 49% said yes. It was 70% in 1965 that answered the same question. 79, 70% uh, down to 49 uh, to the same question. But if you compare who said that they were Christians, 69% to, well, does your, is your faith important to you? You know, 49 said, yeah. 27 said it's fairly important. So there's just some rough numbers. So if you're like, hey, that's a, a 101%, just bear with me. These are rough percentages. 27% uh, said it was fair that their relationship with God was fairly important. 25 uh, said that it was not very important. Mm -hmm. Lastly, that uh, 
they asked if you attend church, synagogue, anybody who said that they were religious, how often do you attend gatherings in, in your religion? 22% said every week. 9% said almost every other week. 11% said once a month. 25% said seldom. 31% said never. So you see the numbers declining there? If you just look at how many people identified as Christians, 69%. Is your faith important to you? 49%. And then 22% are saying that, yeah, I, I at least practice my faith and go to church. Forget everything else. If you look at those numbers, you see how they decline for each day. Okay, so you have a belief. Okay, so how serious is that belief? Yeah. You know, half of them said, eh, kind of. Did you attend, to church, attend church? Occasionally. This is not a church growth. I'm not sitting here trying to shame everybody into coming to Sunday night service. When I would love for everybody to you know, start coming and growing in your faith that, for that and for no, no selfish reason. No selfish reason. I want you to grow in your faith just like I'm growing in my faith. You know, that we would grow in our faith and be, uh, be growing uh, together and uh, getting to know the word even more. You know, the church has fallen out of love with its Savior, fallen asleep and grown numb. You know, when they were first called Christians, you know, when you consider the church, much of the church has forsaken the noble name by which we are called. You know, Christian, the first five letters of that, Christ. Six letters, sorry. I went, you know, anyways. You know, look at the evidences in society. Christians, verse 27. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Holy Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they, did, they also did and sent it, uh, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So what we see here is a prophet, one who was used by God to tell of things that were to come, named Agabus came and he shared a word from the Lord that there was a famine coming. We need to be prepared for that. So they take him seriously and they listen to him and the disciples, according to their ability, gave and they determined to send relief to the church in Judea. So they did so by sending it through the hands of Paul and Barnabas um, to, uh, to the elders. And what we see here is a wonderful example of the church providing and caring for one another. They heard of a need that was coming and said, hey, why don't we be smart now that we know, and why don't we serve these guys and look out for them and support them? Chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king uh, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it came during the days of unleavened bread. So when he arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So this Herod that's being mentioned is Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, the one that killed the Jewish babies in Matthew chapter 2. And he's also the nephew of Herod Antipas that we saw that was involved in Jesus' trial in Luke 23. So that's the Herod Agrippa I. Uh, he used his power to harass, it says, 
uh, some from the church. And what we're seeing here is that as he does this and he's persecuting the church, that he kills James. Remember the sons of thunder, James and John, sons of thunder, uh, James and John. He kills James. And what he saw was that it pleased the Jewish leaders. And he used this. Now he's saying, wait a minute, this is a way for me to gain political favor, to gain power. And he says, all right, Peter's next. And they get Peter and they bring him into prison. And he's growing popular by means of persecution. You can see that this is building up to not end well, right? Okay. So it says the days of unleavened bread. It's one of the major feasts. Many Jews would have been there. And, uh, you know, we don't know why he delayed. But he could have done it so that th there would be more, so his popularity would grow. Or that he would wait long enough for less opposition. Uh, to arise, you know, or, or to show that he, he honored the Jewish traditions. We don't know, but it shows that he waited. He, de he delayed. So it says that he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. You know, uh, this is the first of the 12 to die. This, uh, that's who James was, you know, as, as we consider, because we saw Stephen, but Stephen wasn't one of the first apostles. So this is the first of them to die. You know, why, why did uh, the Lord allow him to die and not Peter? Those are answers that the Lord has. Uh, and uh, he does his, his, his own thing. His ways are higher than ours, his thoughts than ours. We can just trust that God knew what he was doing. I guarantee you that James isn't upset about it. He, he is in the presence of the Lord with the martyr's reward. He's okay with it, guys. You know, if we say, we think, oh, poor James. James is okay with it, Right? Might have been a little not okay with it when it was happening, but uh, he knew uh, that uh, that he was going to the Lord. You know, if you consider when uh, James and John's mother had uh, they had an encounter with Jesus, right? And he's saying, "Hey, can you?" And she's asking, "Can they have the prominent seats? Can they be on your left hand and your right hand side?" Jesus, is like, you don't know what you're asking, you know. But they did. They ended up. You know, we know that James lost his life, and we see that John. Persecuted greatly. He was a man boiled in, in oil. Doesn't sound fun to me, right? Exiled the island of Patmos. You know, they, they definitely suffered, uh, but Jesus was explaining, you don't understand what you're asking. So now he's after Peter because he knew that it pleased the Jews and that we're in opposition to Christ. He's a man pleaser. He sees that it pleases the Jews and he's going on to the next thing. That is a snare and a trap in and of itself. To, to be about pleasing men, pleasing women. If I do this, and then I'm going to please them, so I'm going to keep doing that. There are all kinds of levels you can look at that. But this guy here is saying, my opposition to the name of Christ is pleasing them, and I'm gaining popularity. We're going to do this. You know, he could gain the desire, the attention he wanted. And what we see here is that he is an attention seeker, and he loves to be looked at as, a, as special, and it costs him his life. Now, as we look at verses 5 through 19, we're going to uh, go through and, and look at Peter's deliverance from prison. Verse 5 says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with chains between two soldiers. And the guards before and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. 
and his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed, uh, they were past the first and second guard posts, and they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, uh, which opened to them of its own accord. They uh, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately an an the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the Jewish people here. So verse 12 says, so uh, you know, when, sorry, I don't want to get into verse 12 yet. So what we see here is that Peter's in prison. And there was, as he's there, there's constant prayer being offered for him. Constant prayer. That they had just seen. Guys, this was serious, right? James had just gotten killed. And now constant prayer is being offered because, in all honesty, when we get there, they're not expecting Peter to survive. They're praying for him, but they're expecting their prayers won't be heard or answered. That's a funny thing when we get there. But they're, they're offering prayers for him. And uh, we see that as Peter is, is there, uh, and he's chained to two guards, and there are people with guard posts, because they knew that something about Jesus, right, they, they were familiar with the past, that, hey, uh, you know, we had guards there, and Jesus is gone, and, and uh, you know, what happened? And they're trying to make sure this is not going to happen again. And they've got, uh, they've got squads of people there. You know, these, these guys had their lives on the line if they failed at their duties. We'll see that soon, too. But what we see happening here is as Peter's sleeping, the, the angel strikes him on the side and says, get up, put on your sandals, throw your robe on, it's time to go. And they go out through, and, and he's, he's being escorted past all the guards and past uh, through the, the, the iron gate opens of its own accord. That's a neat thing to look at, too. It opens of its own accord. God doing work. We don't have to do, you know, he's opening the doors. He's taking care of what's happening here. They get down the street and the, the angel's gone. And Peter said that he knows that he has been delivered from the hand of Herod and the expectation of the Jewish people. The expectation was that he's going to lose his life. They were expecting that. They were hoping for that, right? Verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother, mother of John, whose surname was Mark. And uh, where many were gathered together praying. So Mark's house was a gathering place for the church. You know, many were gathered there in the face of very serious persecuting. And they, we understand that they were praying for Peter, but but there's something, there's a weakness in their faith that's revealed here uh, as, as we get into the next few verses. But we see a man named John Mark being introduced. Now John Mark is the one that wrote the Gospel of Mark. And that's how he's known as Mark. And, and uh, you know, there, there might even be a hidden um, reference to Mark in, in Mark chapter 14. We don't know for sure, but some scholars believe so. Mark chapter 14, verses 51 and 52, it says, Now a certain man, a young man followed him, Jesus, as he's being led away, uh, uh, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, when a young, uh, and the young man laid hold of uh, him and when he uh, le and he left the linen cloth and 
fled from them naked. We don't know who that was, but some believe it was Mark. You know, he just doesn't say who it was, but that, that Mark would have been uh, the one cloaked uh, in, in uh, uh, Mark chapter 14. We don't know, but uh, it, Colossians 4 tells us that Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. And uh, he's, we see, uh, as he is mentioned further along, that he serves as a helper for Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Uh, by Acts 15, we see that he had walked away from the mission. And uh, uh, Mark's uh, stepping away from doing uh, ministry uh, became a point of contention between uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas. And uh, they uh, get to a point where there's a heated discussion between the two and they come to the point of, of where, where Mark might be reintroduced to walking with them and Mark, uh, Paul uh, you know took the stance of saying hey you know what I need someone strong and dedicated someone that's not going to turn back someone I can rely on and Barnabas is saying come on man you know give the guy a second chance Paul you know uh, sorry Barnabas the son of encouragement right so he takes his cousin with him and, and they they part ways in ministry but we later see in Philemon, there's only one chapter, so Philemon 24, it's Paul mentions Mark, and we see that he was named as a fellow wor uh, worker, that he was restored to ministry. So just a quick uh, blip on, on, on who Mark is when this is being described. But this house, they're all gathered and they're praying. Look at verse 13, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when, uh, when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate but ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. She's too excited. When she hears Peter's voice, she runs away. She forgets to even open the door. You know, uh, you know, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, he does. You know, because here's Peter, just been delivered from certain death, and uh, he's miraculously brought out of the city uh, by a... Uh, by an angel, and he finally shows up and he gets to Mary's house. They're praying for Peter as they're praying, and they're praying for, no doubt, boldness and strength in the face of persecution, all these things. Peter gets there, knocks on the door. He's like, hey, Rhoda, it's me, it's Peter, let me in. She gets so excited. I have, uh, I have well, two teenagers left. One of them's 21, but I have three daughters, and I've seen this type of action before. Like, they get so excited, they forget to do what they were actually supposed to do. Ah! You know, you know, consider the, the great joy this little girl had. You know, God has a sense of humor, made sure that this got into the Bible. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, if you speak about, if you consider what, uh, what if you speak about, if you think about what was happening here, um, we're going to see here in verse 15, it says, but they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. You know, Jesus spoke about the hardness of hearts that people could have. And, um, you know, you consider uh, the things that Jesus said, that he said in, in Matthew 11, verses 25 through 26. It says, at that time, Jesus answered. And what he's saying, he's addressing the people that their hearts were so hard that they wouldn't even uh, receive Jesus and that they were rejecting him and would not repent. And there were a bunch of woes listed before this. And he says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. <clears throat> Even so, Father, for it so seemed for so it seemed good in your sight. And he, go, he goes on to say he, what he's saying here is those that are too, you know, in their minds, their hearts are so hard or they they don't really have that deep believing faith. 
but you revealed it to the simple, to the babes. This is an example of that. These people, uh, you know, it's it's easy uh, when Je that it's different. You know, what Jesus was saying is that these people would refuse to listen to Jesus's words. Okay, but if you look at these people are praying for Peter. Peter shows up, and what do they do? Like, you know, uh, you're beside yourself. He's dead. It's his ghost. Then what were they praying for? Like literally, what was the expectation, right? Why do we pray, right? We pray because we expect that God is going to hear. Not that God is chained to what we're praying for, but we expect that he hears it and that he's going to, in his perfect will, minister to us according to what we need in our lives. That's why we pray. Now, if we pray that thing, but we don't really believe it, what are we doing? You know, there, there's, a, uh, there's a great deal of hypocrisy there. What they're basically saying is, Rhoda, you're just a kid. You don't know. Like, you don't know. You're beside yourself. And it, like they look at each other and be like, she doesn't know. Never mind her. She's talking crazy stuff. What did Jesus say? Oh, you of little faith, right? You know, Jesus, he, like he said, you know, that, that the things that were hidden from the wise and prudent but revealed to babes. You know, she had a precious faith of a child that Jesus spoke highly of. You know, encouragement to any of us here, um, really, you can be young in your faith or just be young. And all of us have different interpretation of what young is, right? Paul told Peter, uh, sorry, Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Don't let anybody despise your youth because people will, Right? They will. You're not old enough to be a pastor. You're not old enough to, you don't really know. You haven't been through enough in your, your life. Whatever. You say what you want. The scriptures say, don't let anybody despise your youth. Think of today's youth. You know, if they're talking about what God is doing in their life and somebody comes along and says, you, what do you know about God? You don't know any. Let me teach you, right? You know, I got a junior high kid that comes up to me and says something cool. I'll be like, amen, that's awesome. Listen to God and do what he's telling you to do. High school or whatever. You know, God told me this. If they're wrong and you say, I don't know if you're hearing that right. Yes, we should tell them. But man, when they come up and they've got something powerful, don't be like, well, I can't say it. Well, God revealed it to them, but not to me. That hurts my pride. So I got to tear them down. Right. They're saying that she's beside herself. Verse 16. Now, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Poor Peter. You know, he's been through a lot already. He just wants to get inside. And, uh, you know, he's standing there knocking. He's probably like, you know, I can hear you guys whispering in there or whatever. I, I don't know. They finally open the door and, and they act like they have the big news to share. Right. Wait a minute. And, you know, I can see Rhoda with her hands out. Rhoda's like, told you, you know. I hope somebody apologized to dear Rhoda. Verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and said, uh, and he said to them, go tell these things to James. This is James, the brother of Jesus and to the brethren. And he departed and went uh, to another place. So Peter and had to calm them all down. You know, of course they're joyful that he's okay. And they had just suffered a, a great loss in losing James, the, the, the uh, brother of John. And, uh, you know, uh, Peter thought, you know, they thought that they had lost Peter also, you know, their leader. So it's commendable that they were gathering together praying, but um, they weren't really believing what was going to happen. 
So there's a challenge to our faith there uh, that we that we already talked about, you know. And sometimes we're going to get to the point where we say, well, all we can really do is pray. Yeah. Guys, <laughs> we're petitioning the God of the universe who's all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. Petitioning him is the most important thing we can do. Men are going to fail. You know, how many times have you heard like the missing person was right there all along, right? Or whatever it is. Pray to God and ask him uh, to, to be the one to help. You know, Peter gave them a message, let them know they're all that everything's okay, and then he left. Verse 18. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of, of Peter. But when Herod had stretched uh, had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So day breaks and chaos breaks out. Wait a minute. You guys had him strapped in there to two people as he's sleeping. Can't be comfortable, right? You know, whether it's feet, hands, whatever. You know, he's not comfortable sleeping. You guys had him change. Tell me the whole story. I don't believe it. Because they can't explain. They're like, we don't know. We all woke up and Peter was gone. And they have no explanation and it costs them their lives. He examines the guards and orders their execution. Their failure, for, for them, failure was not an option. You fail at your duties, you're dead. And they lost their lives because of it. And then he goes down to Judea and Caesarea. So there's absolute chaos because of what God did. I love that. Verse uh, 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord. And having made Blastus the king's uh, personal aid their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So Herod was angry with the people there. And they knew it. And they uh, came to him as a unit. And they asked uh, if, the, if Blastus would help him out. And they, they have an in and they go and, and they ask uh, him for uh, some some help with getting to Herod. And they asked for peace uh, to preserve their supply chain. They just needed to be fed, right? Verse 21. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in, uh, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an, or, uh, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Told you this wasn't going to end well, right? This is a bad thing. Herod's a bad dude. He did stupid things. The biggest thing he did dumb was not give glory to God. He let himself be worshipped as God. That's what happened right there. You know, the, you know, it's a fateful day for him. He comes, he's all dressed up, right? Unfortunately for him, it doesn't matter what he's wearing. We already talked about that. He didn't correct the people. He enjoyed being praised as he's sitting on his throne. Well, this has a good tone to it. He's like the voice of a God and not a man. That says they keep, kept shouting that. If somebody who's following Christ would have heard that, they would have been like, what are you doing? And we'll see that here uh, as we go through uh, Acts here. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. I'm a person just like you. Don't don't bow to me. Don't say anything like that. Those are the wrong things to say. And he committed the offense of accepting worship, worship, and and uh, being worshipped as though he was God. Herod thought he was, but Herod was not God. There's only one worthy of praise, and that's the God of the universe. He accepted that exaltation. It cost him his life. He was eaten by worms. 
because we can see here he was corrupt from the inside out. And God showed everyone that. I just wonder what happened after that. Like, whoa, <laughs> dude just got eaten by worms. What's happening here? I, I guess he's not a god. And they're like, what happened? We don't have the, the commentary there. Like, did everybody scream and run off? Did everybody just get quiet and slowly walk? We don't know what happened here, but I'm sure everybody was like, holy cow, right? Verse 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Where it starts here in 24 says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's spreading regardless of the, the opposition. Barnabas and Saul fulfilled their ministry. Uh, and there's an important line there not to overlook. That it says here that they had fulfilled their ministry. They had done what God called them to do. We're not called to do things. You know, okay, I got it halfway done. Now I'm good. Now, if God leads us to do something, he wants us to see it through. So they had completed what he had uh, for them first. And they took along uh, John Mark. And, uh, you know, he's going to learn. There are times of weaknesses for him. There was division that came regarding him. We talked about that. Um, but uh, we know that in the end, he was called a fellow worker. So there's a lot. There are a lot of different, uh, you know, we know that none of us are God. And none of us should ever accept praise uh, you know, guys, it should make us kind of weirded out when someone's like, you're a really holy person. You know, those types of things like, oh, yeah, well, you know what? Any holiness and righteousness I have is from Jesus Christ. That's the proper thing, right? Giving glory where it's due. That we would take no glory in our lives for who God is and what he has done. We have to be careful of that. You know, so as we studied through this, we saw that the, the church learned that salvation was for the Gentiles also. You know, the, the, the title Christian was given to followers of Christ. Barnabas doing what Barnabas does and helping people along. You know, Peter was imprisoned and delivered by God, and James lost his life for the gospel. For you know, bold, unwavering faith, he had a resolve to walk in the Lord. You know, let, let's be encouraged by what we're reading here and grow in our faith. Amen. Man, let's uh, would you stand with me and we'll pray. <clears throat> Father, we are blessed by your word that it gives us instruction for our heart, hope for our hearts. Lord, that we saw Peter facing sure murder being delivered because you had a plan for him. Lord, that you would save sinners like us because you have a plan for us, that you love us. You want to work in and through us. Lord, help us to give you glory, to be obedient to you, to follow you, to please you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you all. Have a great day.